a quote I like to use is from a playwright where in, in essence uh, he says, you got to be able to get off your Island in order to progress and swim out into open water in the hopes to find another one. So I always tell teachers, I'm like the Island that you've built for yourself right now is successful. You know, you deem it successful. You're happy with it. You're, you, you know, you've been doing that Island for five years. Well, what's the harm in swimming out into the middle of the ocean, trying something. If it works, you now have two islands. If it doesn't work, you swim back, regroup, rebuild your boat and try again. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With online achievements and badges for completing key tasks, My Study Series ensures students are highly engaged and motivated to learn. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 64 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log where you're able to grow, learn and develop by accessing high quality PRD when you need it most. I'm your host Carl Condoliff and once again I'm joined by my co-host Celia Fleck. Now Celia, you've got two almost grown up boys. I'm, I'm keen to know, how did video games feature in their lives? Was it something they did often or was it something that just wasn't, didn't feature in their lives? So I'm keen to, I'm keen to hear. Ah, a good question. Um... I would say one of them um, one of them got very much into the whole Minecraft face. Um, but we we were one of those families that just did not really own the latest stuff. So we didn't own the latest PlayStation or it was years before we even had a PlayStation in our house. So yeah, video games did not feature highly in our household, I have to say. That's interesting you say that because I had a very similar upbringing with my family and so by the time when I left home and started uni and had some disposable income I bought a PlayStation and for me it, you know as you know I'm a massive huge gamer not not so much anymore but at the time you know those first four years of owning a console I just played I competed I you know I got to travel the world um, but it was as a family we we didn't we didn't have that so I went full bore into it once I could. Um, so that's interesting hearing hearing the story of, of your boys too. That was was quite similar. Now, we had Scott Hebert on the podcast and we're talking about gamification, which is a really interesting concept, but quite a misunderstood one. And it's not to be confused with video games or game-based learning. Gamification is, is something very different. Now, we were talking beforehand, but what were some of your key takeaways from the episode? Yeah, it's interesting. I think some of my key takeaways weren't really even that connected to the gamification itself. It was just other things that I picked up that really resonated with me. But I guess the thing that linked to gamification was just that um, 
the reminding me about that whole game mechanic of narrative and telling the story and um that's connected with me before when when you've when you've spoken about gamification so I really like that concept and that part of it but a couple of the other things that came out um for me was um when Scott spoke about checking your ego at the door so for teachers checking their ego at the door and taking the time to talk to the kids to find out what it is that that they want or that they need and I kind of had to check myself when I heard that as well because so often people will then kind of counter that with or adults will counter that with well they don't know what they need they're just kids they don't know what they need but I just think we just need to be way more open to listening to them because they've actually got a lot to say. Um, and then the other one was, um, again, for adults, um, pushing people into a zone of discomfort so that they have to question what they're doing. And and that resonates with me quite a lot because I guess a lot of the work I, I do in kind of that change in education settings and if you really do need to make people a little bit uncomfortable before they will start to kind of question the status quo and then think about what they do that what what they might do to change. Mm, that's really that's really funny because not taking away from Scott because he's exceptional at what he does and he's one of the best in the world at this whole idea of leveraging gamification and education. But like yourself, my key takeaway was really not related to gamification. It was more about being an agent of change. And he had this advice to just really start small. If you're trying to make a difference or you're trying to change things, start small, but be prepared to get off your island, have a dabble, test things out. And if it goes wrong, well, swim, swim back to your island, rebuild, revisit your idea and your concept and, and try something different. So I think that was really, really powerful. Um, I was fascinated by um, Scott and the work he's he's doing. He, he does a lot of that stuff, gives it away for free. Um, he's doing amazing things. I loved his examples at the end. You know, there was the, the garbage can voting, which was an amazing idea. And I, I bet, you know, there's going to be a dozen schools are going to be doing this. Um, and then the next six months to try to to try to clean up their place and and leverage some of that gamification. So I thought it was a really fascinating talk, and I enjoyed it. Um, quick reminder: our website uh, augmentedlearning.co.nz does have an introduction to gamification course, a free course with five lessons and quizzes and stuff like that. So if this stuff really resonates with you and you want to learn a little bit more, um, do jump along to the site and, and sign up for that free course. But aside from that, I think we should just jump straight in and listen to Scott Hebert talk about engaging kids through gamification. Hey, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about the school and the students you teach? Yeah, sure. So uh, like you said earlier, my name is uh, Scott Hebert. I've been teaching for this is my 10th year. I just finished my 10th year going on to my 11th this coming school year, if it happens. <laughs> Thank you, COVID. Um, so uh, I teach grade eight science and uh last couple of years, they've given me some social studies to do, which has been fun. And uh, I teach in a small community called Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta. We've got a population of 25,000. Uh, if you go to all the outskirts of the city and uh, I am 
Yeah, I've been a longtime proponent, about six years of gamification. Um, and in the first three months of me doing gamification, um, literally ever, uh, I had my students and myself design a program that was recognized as the best of its kind in the world. That's that's fascinating. And and the whole, um, you know, how I'm framing this episode is all about gamification, which is something I'm really passionate about as well. But before we get on to that, how is your how's the upcoming academic year shaping up for you with COVID? Is it you mentioned you're a lot of uncertainty? What's happening there? Uh, well, our province isn't um, doesn't have a plan. Many would argue. Um, it is still very fluid and dynamic. We hope there's a lot of stress, I would say, amongst people in the province um, about what education will look like because their current plan that they've released has no limits on class sizes or funding for PPE and stuff for teachers or mandatory masks or anything like that. So there's a lot of uncertainty right now um, and worry, I would say, across the, my entire province. So. Um, funny you should mention it. It's August 3rd today and tomorrow there's going to be a meeting um, uh, with the education minister and our chief health officer to announce some, some stuff about education. So um, we're on pins and needles with that because we just we do not know um, what this year is going to look like because COVID is on the rise again after on the drop in our province. So that is uh, drastically changing plans, we could say. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of what, what it's like in New Zealand, but we are we are essentially back to normal. And it's just, you know, I have all of these guests that I speak to on my podcast and I, I just feel for feel for you and, and all of these educators so much because, I, I you know, the, the six to eight weeks that we had in a, in a hard lockdown were, were challenging. Um, but now we're, we're on the, and that doesn't rule out more, possible cases for us in New Zealand, but at the moment, it's hard to fathom what you guys are, are all going through. Hey, um, big gamification expert, and you've had a lot of success there. Uh, I love gamification. Can you can you tell me about it or tell my audience about it? What What is it to you and why as educators should we care? Well, I think that the, the big wake up call for me was if, if I'll kind of do the Cole's notes on my story here is I was a kindergarten to grade four phys ed specialist. It's what my degree is in, in phys and physical and health education. And uh, as I went through, I was having uh, great success early in my career. We had kind of a family medical emergency um, where I had to quit that job and move in um, with my in-laws uh, for some stuff. And I ended up getting a job in uh, grade eight science. And in kindergarten to grade four in the elementary school I was working in, you see a real passion and zest for life and zest for education in kids. And uh, I was fortunate enough that this school was actually a kindergarten to grade 12 um, school with a middle school campus. And I, I did some coaching of basketball and, and <clears throat> excuse me, and rugby and stuff like that out there. And um, I, as I would go kind of into the older parts of the school, and eventually when they split into a second campus, you would see school be way less exciting and more stressful and the passion and the excitement that I saw when they were young didn't exist anymore when they were older. So when I got into this grade eight class, I just, I witnessed that firsthand. I had kids who weren't interested in the sciences. Their motivations were often along the lines of, you know, fear of repercussion from parents or teachers, not really a, an interest in the sciences and the different kind of topics that we covered. So my goal was, you know, 
before I even knew what gamification was, was how can I increase kids engagement to, to be more, more interested in what they're doing. We actually get that intrinsic, uh, as well as extrinsic, which is easy to do in school, uh, motivation to kids, get them to care and, and see the science that I'm teaching them around them. And, uh, so I did some research and I, the thing that I'd recommend every teacher do is if you're struggling in your classroom, check your ego at the door and talk to the kids. Uh, we don't do that enough in education. Um, by no means am I famous, so I, I can just quote myself, but I always say that <laughs> the the most undervalued and underappreciated uh, resource we have in school is kids, and we just refuse to acknowledge it. We will go to every fac, uh, factor of life, every person imaginable to discuss and to talk about what kids need instead of actually sitting down and talking to the kids themselves. And uh, I think that that's something that that really shaped my view um, of education uh, early on when I realized, you know, these kids are seeing the same struggles that I saw. These kids are seeing the same difficulties that I saw. So through the little interviews and stuff, it led me to gamification. And then kind of the rest, as they say, is history. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of gamification and how it's done and how it should be done. So um, I'm sure we'll dive deeper into that as we go. Yeah, I, you know, I really like that you mentioned checking your ego. And I think there's this bias that as educators we bring into the classroom that, first of all, we 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 are the holders of knowledge. That That's a, a one mistake I think we make. Mm -hmm. But then acknowledging the kids and, and their experiences and what they bring to the classroom as, as well, I think is really important. And one of those things that kids are engaging with and um, really under, understand well is something like video games. Now, the, these bias that we bring into the classroom as educators is this um, image of what somebody who plays video games is, this nerdy kid who all he does is play video games and, and is, is disengaged from education. But that that generalization and that picture that we paint of what this a gamer looks like um, is so far removed from reality. And reality is... Uh, we've got people who are engaging with other gamers all over the world using interpersonal skills, using uh, teamwork, leadership, communication, all of these great things that we want to see inside the classroom. And they're doing that in video games. And not only not only are they engaging at that level, but they're also being motivated from this gamification component where uh, they're being rewarded for leveling up or, you know, there's these rich narratives in these games which are making them play 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 and you know I, I come from a big gaming background and i have teachers question me on video games and and the benefit of them and i always say to them you know i've sat there and played a video game for 12 hours straight it's not something i'm particularly proud of but there is <laughs> there is no way i could sit through even my favorite teacher for 12 hours and listen to them talk but that's the power of video games and there's so much for us as educators to learn from what a video game can give to a kid in terms of that motivation and that engagement. So when you think about video games and gamification, what do you think is the biggest thing that teachers could learn from them? Well, I think the first all is to recognize that video games have changed. Uh, you look at the, the way video games used to be, it was always kind of one player you, or, or multiplayer in your own home. You know, if you had you know, a couple joysticks or whatever controllers, and games have changed dynamically. Um, the the thing that I find is a video game now is is much to be viewed like a movie, 
Um, you become captivated by the story. You want to save certain people and defeat certain people. You want to put forth the effort to make sure you explore every area to, you know, check every chest, to question every person. And so much of what we want in school is what you mentioned. We want this interactive piece, this negotiation piece, this uh, creativity, this, you know, all of these things. But then we put kids in rows and desks and tell them to sit down and shut up and do what we say because we're in charge. And it's just such a, I mean, I have a lot of colorful language for it, but it, it's a, it's such a backwards approach because people view that, you know, if school got us the education system as it is, got us to where we are now, why should we change it? And if you look at some of the biggest minds in the world, they have said that they succeeded in spite of school, not because of it. Mm. And their responses are always, you know, I wish I could have been more creative. I wish I had more autonomy. I wish there was more trust in me. I wish that I could have done things in a way that I was more interested in instead of writing the essay. Why couldn't I do this? Why couldn't I do that? And that that's the approach that gamification allows you to do. It allows you to become incredibly flexible and dive into curriculum deeper than you ever have without kids knowing that that's what you're doing. And that's what true gamification is. True gamification is running through game mechanics without knowing that you're running through game mechanics super overtly. And you become captivated and hooked into certain different, you know, components or aspects of a game. And then underlying that whole thing is the, the concept of, you know, I just learned this skill without being told that I learned that skill. Mm. So there's, there's just so much, there's so much depth to it. And, you know, I have seen creativity improve, engagement improve, innovation improve, um, classroom management virtually non-existent. The kids govern themselves with, and within the rules and constraints of the game. Um, I hire kids for jobs. I have like, it's just the list goes on and on. The, the amount of things that I'm able to achieve in 10 months compared to what I did prior to using gamification is, is incredibly different. And I think that a lot of teachers, when they hear gamification, think, why are we putting kids in front of screens? And I constantly have to correct this one and say, as a matter of fact, before COVID, I didn't use screens, period. Mm -hmm. Everything was hands-on. Everything was physical. You worked in groups. You talked to people face-to-face. -face, you used the textbooks and stuff before you just Googled all the answers, you know? And, and this was the different type of of approach that that started to get teachers to realize that gamification is not put on a game where you learn a math, you know, how to add numbers together by shooting spaceships out of the sky. Uh, Cause that doesn't work. That isn't gamification. Hmm. That is game-based learning. And to be successful in game-based learning, it actually has to be designed properly, which very few educational games are the, the big in the business world my opinion of education is that they view it as an, a, a black, a, a money pit or sorry, a never ending pool of money that they can just create programs for and teachers and principals and divisions will purchase all of these different resources and stuff, which if you boil it down, very few things have ever been given to use as a teacher uh, have, have been beneficial to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that whoever coined the term gamification really did uh, educators a disservice, but but that's all right. Kent, for, for people who might not be aware of 
what a game mechanic is. Can you give us an example of a game mechanic that has real good traction for you in the classroom and what that looks like? Yeah. So for example, just re really simply getting kids to be kind of interested and captivated with the, with the curriculum is you use narrative and story mm. and narrative and story is important because it's the, you go back to the concept of a book and a movie and in a book or a movie, you become invested, you know, you know, these characters aren't real, but you cry when they die and you cheer when they succeed. And, you know, you get all the mushy gushy feels when they fall in love and all these things. And you know that none of it is real. You know that the second the director cuts the camera, they're back to you know being whoever they are and none of it is legitimate, but you can't help but become captivated in it. So a game mechanic that you can use is narrative and story. So what I did was I took uh, my curriculum and I, I created a fictitious story, just a real classic one of you know good versus evil. And I simply said that you know we have a land, which is my classroom called Scientia Terra. Because science land sounded terrible, but when you use Latin and Greek, it sounds awesome. So I threw in some other languages and found kind of the best combo. And I said, uh, in Alberta here, we're a very resource heavy province. So I said, we're a resource heavy nation, made it relatable and something they understand too, because we have a lot in the oil and gas sector and mining and things like that. And um, they went along and I said, you know, we find this powerful stone, this bad guy wants it, he imprisons me, I need help, you got to save me. So then as I designed my work, the work was a practical application of where they would use it. So instead of here's this sheet and do this, it was, you know, for example, hydraulics and pneumatics, it was how do they work? Why do they work? Okay, now you understand the base. Oh, shoot, you fall, you find a, a child who fell in a well, and you need to build a hydraulic or pneumatic lift to get the child out of the well because no one is strong enough to lift them because it's so far down. And I just kind of go on and on like this. And what you find is kids kids become emotionally invested in a story that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're working super hard to save this kid in a well. You know, they're building a pneumatic or a hydraulic lift. They're measuring, you know, and then I bring it to life. I build the well and I, I make them measure it and, and you know, do their di designs and the STEM learning and all these different kinds of things. Um, I mean, there are, there are tons of game mechanics. There's, you know, in-game currency, in-game cards, there's perk and reward, there's uh, time limits and delays, there's, you know, unlocking, uh, the, the list goes on. And the more you add, um, the more you're going to get kids that are interested in different aspects um, of the game, um, not just the guarantee of like, okay, if you're not into story, you won't like it. Well, you might prefer the competitive aspect of it. You might like the hero aspect of it. You might like that there's a villain, you might like that you get to work in teams, you might like that you get to save people. And so there's, there's so many, it's like Shrek and the onion. There's so many layers. Yeah. yeah. And I, I like how you used a narrative as a game mechanic to the, to describe, um, to use an example there. And that's, that's a common one that I use when I'm explaining to teachers, because you could, you can go down the path of looking at game mechanics like trophy shelf and onboarding and try to explain those. But when you bring it back to narrative, if you think about all of the great teachers that we had when we were students, they were great storytellers. And all of the amazing educators that have gone before us are great storytellers. They, they use narrative, they paint a picture in, in your mind when you're a student. And when you get that picture and that story in your head, you're so much more engaged in the learning. So um i really like that you that you mentioned that now you've got a um you've done a tedx talk and it's it's a it's a really uh solid 
talk and I, I enjoyed it and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes for people to watch. But, you know, we, you, you mentioned the need to change education at the core. Now, despite everything that's going on, the global pandemic, pandemic, uh, pandemic sorry, and, and all, all of the things that are happening around the world, this term new normal keeps getting thrown about. And I've talked about it in my last four episodes of the podcast. And I have to be careful here because I'm, I'm kind of uh, showing my faith in New Zealand education. But what I'm seeing is post-COVID for New Zealand is much of the same. Do you think we've been too ambitious as educators to expect that COVID is going to blow up the way we teach our students? Oh, yeah, because what's if, if you look at what the expectations were when we shifted to online learning, um, the retention of, I don't know what it was like where you are, but the retention of kids who actually showed up come March dropped so fast yeah. across so many different places all around the world, you know? Everyone was there on day one because there was lots of novelty. And then day two, three, all of a sudden you got your, your, your class of 28 is down to 20, is down to 15, is down to 15, another, or same 15, and all of a sudden 10, 8. And you're like, well, what am I even doing anymore at this point? Like, what's the point of this? And everyone wants to go back. You need the teacher in the room. You need to be the one directing the learning. You need to be this. The, and, and that's not true. It's mm. not true at all. Mm. What you mentioned earlier, um, is as I, I believe it completely, we aren't the gatekeepers of knowledge anymore. Mm. I can't tell you how many times in my career kids have corrected things that I've said. Kids have taught me about tools, programs, videos, music, everything that I didn't know existed, how to create it, how to make it, how to edit it, how to, whatever. And th these kids come in with so much knowledge, but instead of looking at this as an opportunity of like, wow, we can really rethink how we teach, like, watch this YouTube video, make a comment on this, respond to this person's comment, you know, write a, your, your response paper now is about their viewpoint and, and how it, you know, impacted your viewpoint. No, we went, you know, go, I scanned the textbook and, you know, read question seven and answer questions. And it just went back to the same thing uh, over the computer. And meanwhile, I, I was trying to do everything that I could differently. We were doing, you know, treasure hunts and online competitions and games and, and I, I had a fairly successful out of about the 90 kids, I had about 50 on average at every, every two days in live lessons that I did, which was by far the highest from people I had spoke to. And people were like, how do you get people to show up? And I was like, because I'm creating a, a unique or more different type of experience, not, I'm not just going back to pen and paper at home where kids struggle, you know, we're we're making memes to explain things and we're watching videos and, and, you know, commenting on stuff and we're, you know, whatever the case may be. And I just think that while we want the new normal, this, this new normal to be created in this new vision of education, the fact that they want to jam kids back in the classroom in rows, in bubbles, in plexiglass cubes, wearing suits and space, like it's just, they're doing everything to, to go back to normal, not create a new normal. Mm. So you've, you've touched on this in, in that response there a little bit, but further to that, you've also said that education has an engagement crisis. Why do you think that is? It's because we haven't changed the way that education has been delivered in ever. It would be like my argument. Mm. It's you look back at like the Prussian models of what education was when it was first designed and what the systems look like. 
you needed people who didn't question anything, who went to assembly lines, who helped fuse uh, and, uh, you know, build things for war or enlist in the army and, you know, just follow a drill sergeant till their death. <laughs> it just, you know, it, and that's what was school was expected to be. And then, you know, their discipline was what we would define child abuse. So then it was run on fear. It wasn't run on, on anything other than the fact that like you needed to be scared of your teacher. And, and in turn now, what you need the most of is you need respect. You need to have your kids respect you and believe that you have their best interest at heart. And that's so important. And when, when I, when I look at the whole thing, I think that kids are bombarded with stimulus every day. They have social media, they have, phones and computers they have tvs and radios um with cars and bikes and stuff you can get anywhere and access anything and then we say none of that exists in school sit down stop be quiet no no read this book from 1957 you know like my the science textbook i use i think is like at least 20 years old and it's talking about how like the hubble telescope is this cool thing and i'm like when these things come up, I'm like, okay, now let's update all of this ridiculously old information. And I, and that's what I mean. The education system sticks in such an old rut of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because the definition of what people view broken as isn't consistent. Broke The system is broken because kids don't care uh, about what they're learning. And if they do care, it's never, it, in my experience anyway, a lot of it is not for the right reasons. It's not because they're genuinely interested in the topic or a subject or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's because they're worried about discipline or their, you know, hockey season getting taken away for not getting good grades or, you know, what, whatever. Right. And it's, it's so, I sound so stereotypical to say hockey as a Canadian, but, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I want, I wanted I realized so much of my discipline issues. That's probably one of the questions you get all the time is that education. What about classroom dis management, discipline, blah, blah, blah. And my response is always when kids are engaged, you don't need classroom management. When kids are disengaged, they're looking to engage themselves. That's why they sneak their phones. They go on websites. They're not supposed to, they poke their friends, they pass notes because they're looking for a way to become engaged or connected to something because what you're doing isn't doing it. So when you address that and can, ex I mean, it, to me, it's not a question of, of ego or, or, or anything. When I said, you know what, maybe what I'm doing isn't good for kids. And I sat down with kids, as I mentioned earlier, and I said, straight, straight to the point, pull no punches. What do I do good? What do I do bad? What would you change about education? And that's what led me to game. Oh, excuse me, hiccups. That's what uh, led me to to gamification is by listening to the kids and what they found to be not good, and then addressing those issues head on. That's and that's fascinating. But I, I sit here and I, I think about my role in education and as a classroom teacher, and I think you know I could put in all of the effort in the world to re-engage my kids and use innovative teaching pedagogy and 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 just get my kids excited about learning but i'm just one teacher of tens of hundreds of thousands of teachers what how can i make a change when there are so many educators 
out there that are just happy to teach the same way and 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 be in, a, in an educational model that hasn't changed without without a worry in the world. It seems just too too far out there to be able to do anything about that. And, and it, of course it would. And I totally, I mean, when I first started this, I did not get positive feedback. I'll tell you that. The kids loved it. The parents were on board, started sharing some stuff in social media back in, what would that be, about 2015, I would say, 2014, 2015. And I got lambasted by teachers all over the world. You know, this is stupid. This is dumb. You're pandering to kids. You're creating a generation of snowflakes, all of these ridiculous comments because nobody saw what it was. And then I started getting messages of saying, you're making me look bad. You're threatening me as a teacher. And I was like, I don't even know who you are. What are you, what are you even worried about? And, you know, I would get replies like my kid found this tweet and shared it with me. And now they want to do this and I don't want it. And I'm like, well, how the hell is that my fault? And so I kept pushing people into a zone of discomfort. That was my first challenge was, can I push people into a zone of discomfort to question what you're doing? If I can at least get you to question what you're doing, then I've at least got the bug in your ear that it could change. Or if you did something and you're like, oh, maybe I won't do it that way this time. Mission accomplished. Hmm. Um the second so starting, thing was starting small, starting small, really. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, one of the things was people were like, I don't know how to do what you do. And I was like, you don't have to do what I do, but what should I do? And they're like, you need to create resources. So I have poured hours and hours of, and hours of um, time into writing two books that are free about how to do what I do, about what it is. If you know nothing about it, read these books and you can do it. I have 50 plus videos on my YouTube channel about um, tips, tricks, activities, games. Um, so I just started putting it out there for free. It wasn't free to begin with because I needed to build infrastructure. But now that I've got a website and a web store and these things are paid a little bit into the future, I was like, okay, fine. Resources are free. Mm. And people think I'm crazy for doing it because of the amount of money I could be making, as someone told me. And I was like, or we share resources as teachers. We don't sell them to each other. And what kind of progress do we make as a whole? Mm. So those were the, those are the two main ways that I went about it. The third one was uh, getting the kids into it. And what that meant was kids would leave my room. You know, some days they were sweaty and they're like, what the hell did you do in there? Like, why are kids sweating? I'm like, oh, we were running around the room doing this activity, doing that. You know, oh, their grades last year were in the 60s. All mine are averaging in the 80s. Well, what are you doing in there? What's going on? Uh, you know, and putting, you know, making kids go to other classrooms and saying like, you know, well, that was cool. I like that idea. I like this concept. And, you know, just start small. That's what I tell people all the time. Just when people look and see what I do and the things that I've created or I shared, they're like, I could never do that. And I'm like, yeah, six years ago, I could never do that either. That's where I started. Mm. And you start small and you increment piece by piece and you go, you know, I I'm readily available on social media. I've, I've helped hundreds of teachers because I think it's the right thing to do. I think that the only way to get change is to, is to make things available and make people think, and if you at least get the bug in the ear, then you're giving them the ability. And then um, 
a quote I like to use is from a playwright where in, in essence uh, he says, you got to be able to get off your Island in order to progress and swim out into open water in the hopes to find another one. So I always tell teachers, I'm like the Island that you've built for yourself right now is successful. You know, you deem it successful. You're happy with it. You're, you, you know, you've been doing that Island for five years. Well, what's the harm in swimming out into the middle of the ocean, trying something. If it works, you now have two islands. If it doesn't work, you swim back, regroup, rebuild your boat and try again. And that helps a lot of people understand just the the general nature of risk taking. And I think that one of the biggest hypocritical things teachers do is demand risk taking from kids and creativity while never demonstrating it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's solid advice. I like this whole idea of starting small and and when you start small and, and you start receiving that positive feedback and engagement from the students, then like you mentioned, you start getting other teachers kind of looking over the fence going, oh, what's happening there? And and sooner or later, they start coming to ask you questions. And that's when you can support those people and, and share some of the stuff you're doing and guide them in different directions that may be swimming out into the ocean for them, but is going to really support them moving forward to be a little bit more innovative, a little bit more progressive in their teaching. And when you can do all of that, I think that's when we will start seeing a bit of momentum you might not reach tipping point but you will start a flow really that is that can make some changes in your school or your district or your region um, which can can be a really positive thing i think one of the one of the biggest detractors from gamification that i come across all the time is this idea of internal versus external reward and when we take away the reward kids won't want to learn and there's there's obviously external motivators and gamification but there's also internal motivators also but what's your response to teachers who think we should be avoiding it because of those external rewards well i would say what external rewards exist in your classroom that you refuse to acknowledge <laughs> they're always there that's that's human nature are you getting paid to do your job that is a reward so if you want to talk about intrinsic motivation don't get paid to do your job period do it because you love it well, you know what? There's going to be days where you don't love your job as a teacher. There's days when it's hard. There's days when it sucks. It's not an easy profession. So it is It is among those different things where I say there's nothing wrong with a carrot on a string as long as the only thing you have is not just a carrot on a string, period. So I say, like, what's wrong with giving a kid, a you know, let's use a really simple example, a sticker on a chart because they did something good. If that makes the child happy, then you distance the time from sticker one to sticker two. I can't tell you how many times kids have been like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I'll get you that gold. Hang on. Don't worry. And I just never give it to them. I don't give them the cards. I don't, I don't fulfill 90% of my promises. I would say to the kids to see if they come back begging for it. And nine times out of 10, they don't mm -hmm. because they become captivated in what got them there. And then the prize becomes second in nature because I'm like, you know, you know, I'll go to that kid in, in a lesson and I'm like, Hey, what was that thing that you mentioned the other time that, you know, when you crush that quest and he's like, Oh my God. And then he gets so excited about it. That's where the, it comes. But to expect a child to have pure internal or intrinsic motivation at, you know, let's say 14 years old about Pythagorean theorem is idiocy. 
they're not, they don't care. So to believe that you could make them care without extrinsic motivation, I don't understand how you could do that. I I truly don't. Very few kids walk into a classroom and want to learn everything about everything because they think learning is amazing. What they think is TikTok is amazing. What they think is socializing with friends is amazing. What they think is playing on sports teams or being in a dance studio is amazing. So what makes them do that intrinsically? Take those things use them as extrinsic to create an intrinsic motivation in your classroom. And I know people listening to this will be yelling at their radios and earphones and stuff thinking I'm wrong and that I'm, I'm dumb and naive for thinking that, but my experience of gamification for the past six years and my, my experience as an educator for 10 years has pointed that you see next to no kid who walks in intrinsically motivated to learn. And you have to, you have to create that in kids. You have to create the intrinsic motivation in kids. And sometimes the best way to do that is to catch their attention with extrinsic motivation and then peel it away to build the intrinsic. And and I mean, that's a hill I'll die on. There's nothing wrong with motivating and rewarding a kid You look at your example, you play 12 hours of video games in a row and you're not proud of it, but you did it anyway. Mm. What, what was it? Was it the fact that you were internally happy or was it the fact that the game recognized what you were doing? You wanted to see story. You wanted to learn more about characters. You wanted to explore new areas. Those are all extrinsic motivators. So now if I take your sentence and I say, I had a kid do 12 hours of homework in a row because they were so fired up about it. I would be on the front cover of every magazine on the planet about what the heck I'm doing. That makes kids do 12 hours of homework willingly. Mm -hmm. And that that's, that's always been my motivation as a teacher is to shake what the regular norm of education is, which is kids have to want to do something for wanting to do it. And that's, that's not necessarily true every single time. Certain things will engage certain kids and other kids could care less. Mm -hmm. So how are you right to be like, all right, okay, you don't care about this. This kid cares about it. So I'll focus all my intention on them. Well, you know, who cares about you? You, oh, you like biology? Well, stay tuned. Biology is coming. You know, I'll talk to the kid over here who likes physics. No, of course not. You have to figure out a way to bring every kid to the same level of at least interest. Yeah. Yeah, solid. Hey, you're using, um, this is probably a more technical question, but you're using GlideApp. Uh, to leverage gamification in your classes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I'm actually not a big proponent of digital, but with COVID, um, like I have a game board that's like, I think 60 or 70 feet that wraps all around my classroom walls and edges and everything. Well, we can't use that anymore in the classroom because of the fact that um, we can't touch things and you know without sanitizing them. And I ain't going to be sanitizing sand so, um, it, it, yeah, it's a big sand table, half of it. So, um, I ain't going to be doing that. And because, because of that, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, I have to make it digital, but I also have to make it engaging. I don't just want it to be what I just spent the last 10 minutes railing on, you know, just a digital worksheet, so to speak. So working with, uh, and, and for your audience, if you're interested in any of this, the guy's name is Robert Petito. 
um, on Twitter. Um, he is the guru of this. Um, actually, at this exact time last year, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States, uh, presenting at a conference. And he he's the guy who got me down there. And he taught me about Glide probably almost to, to the minute a year ago. And uh, because of that, um, I, he's a great reference source and I always give him all the credit for Glide. Um, but I've he, using his kind of techniques and ideas, we've been able to kind of come up with ways to create uh, a digital version of my classroom that is almost self-sufficient on an app. So all of the game cards are digital. I've built in a digital set of dice that rolls by taking pictures of my own dice, editing them and doing all these different kinds of things. So to meet the COVID standard of non-communal pieces and social distancing and all physical restrictions and things, I've been able to kind of turn everything that I do physically, digitally um, for kids, which has been, I mean, I haven't tested it out yet, um, but just kind of teasing it with a few kids that have been through my program. They are just like, why did you not have this when we were in school? Like this is unbelievable. And so that that's, again, I've got kids in grade 10 or 11 who want to come back to grade eight science to experience, you know, this program to me, that tells me I'm doing at least something right. And so Glide is, Glide is just phenomenal because Glide um, allows you to do it with Google Sheets and then it becomes an amazing teaching tool for kids about no code, no code app building and stuff. So it, uh, it's been a lot of, of trial and error and trying to figure out what to do um, with certain things. Uh, but I, we, myself and Rob have been able to kind of figure it out and it's been neat you know, in-store purchases and a badging system and trophy shelf and all these different kinds of things. Uh, that's all personalized to the user. So pretty cool. It sounds really cool. I'm actually looking forward to, you know, learning, learning a bit more about it once it, you know, you push it out there a bit, a bit more. We can, I have just, uh, it is just, I guess, for the record, um, I have a video on my YouTube channel where I give the template out. Nice. So all, all you have to do is, is edit the data that, you know, your game cards or your player names or your levels or whatever, and everything else is already pre-built. Nice. Nice. I'll make sure I share that. We've, we've talked a lot about different people and different resources and, and different things about gamification, but if a teacher wants to find out more about gamification and they, they want to make the jump into this approach, where's the best place they should go to try to learn more about some of these game mechanics and, and game gamification to engage your learners? Well, that's kind of my goal right now. Um, I kind of just create projects for myself because I, I don't know, I'm a glutton for punishment. And uh, as I, I kind of realized is that hub doesn't exist in education. Now, if you wanted to learn about gamification as a whole, there's a guy named Yukai Chu, who's kind of known as like the, the godfather of gamification. He wrote the book Octalysis, which is, you know, one of the actionable gamification it's like the, yeah yeah it's it's the it's the bible of gamification for a lot of people it's it's where they first learned about it um and then there's andre Mer, and i'm going to say his name terribly but merchevsky or merchevsky from uh, the uk who uh, wrote even ninja monkeys like to play which is 
he's a wicked resource. Got a website called gamified.uk, um, which talk a lot about what gamification is and how it works. Um, and then for education, that's kind of what, what I've been attempting to do myself is uh, I have a hashtag of game my class, which I created several years ago, uh, which kind of has a growing list of teachers who share ideas, um, which has been pretty fun to do um, my website. I mean, I'm not trying to be self-promoting because I don't make any money off of anything here, but uh, my YouTube channel of found under master Hebes, which is cool. Cause a kid named me that, and I, I kept that name forever. So now this student who graduated this year, actually, who named me, it's kind of like lives in infamy now. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I've got the YouTube channel, I've got my website, I've got my own books and my own resources, um, all those different types of things. Um, you know, if, if you look it up, uh, someone by the name of Michael Matera will come up, uh, who wrote Explore Like a Pirate who was uh, one of the early people in gamification as well. He has a hashtag called uh, XPLAP or XPLAP is what it's often known as. They have uh, weekly chats on Tuesday evenings, um, our time. Uh, so, I mean, th there are a lot of, of resources and knowledge that's, that's out there for sure. Um, so it's one of those things where um, it's about knowing who, because there's a lot of, information that is not right about education mm. and gamification so it's about being able to kind of know the difference between the two but i think that that's a, a lot of places to start we could say yeah. hey before we get to the last question is there anything i might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me no i think i think this has been good i think you you ask you're asking the right questions about gamification for sure i think that a lot of people are like always wanting to know really deep stuff. And if you're brand new to it, you lose people because they're like, I don't even know what the heck you're talking about, let alone mm -hmm. what this is. So I think just understanding, scratching the surface of what it is, um, you know, taking small steps is the best way to slowly integrate it into a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I'm crazy. So I, I went full bore myself. Um, when I designed my own and I wanted to go head first as best as I could, as quick as I could. Um, but that's just me. I always recommend people not do that. <laughs> mm. So, um, but it, it is one of those things where I would say, uh, start small. That's, that's the best approach. And, you know, I would say, get off your Island, establish a new one, see what happens. You know, the worst thing that's going to happen is what we tell kids, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to get it wrong. Well, yeah, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're not going to be successful, but ask why, improve and try again. Fantastic. Okay, last question. What is what in your experience is the best application of gamification that you've seen in any context? Doesn't have to be education, uh, you know, it could be business, whatever the best application you've seen. Okay, so the, I love this question. This is a great question. So one of my uh, favorite things that I ever saw was I was learned, I learned this through watching a, a TED talk that Yukai did. And it was about unpredictability and curiosity. So where and I'm, I'm sure that they exist in, in New Zealand, but we have a lot of traffic cameras here. Um, do you guys have those out there? Yeah, we do. Yeah, Take so they, 
Yeah, exactly. Right. So they, they take the pictures of your, of your license plate. If you, you know, break some of the simple road rules and uh, an area in Sweden, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, uh, was having an issue with this, but the speed cameras were not deterring speeders. Uh, so somebody said, what can we do to make people realize they should stop speeding in these areas? And somebody was like, you know, why don't we do a lottery? And one of the things that we often forget as educators is we spend a lot of our time working with the difficult kids and ignoring the hardworking kids because they're self-motivated or because they work hard on their own or, you know, whatever the case may be. And in reality, what we should be doing is also acknowledging the people who do well, because that continues to push them to do well. And using that same mentality, the speed cam lottery came to be where they took a picture of every car's license plate that passed. And you went to column A for being a good driver. And you went to column B for being uh, breaking the rules. And they took your fine. And much like a 50-50 draw, they took uh, 50% of the fines and gave it to a good driver. And they found a reduction, I think, by 25% in the first month of speeding because people would hit the brakes and go, eh, whatever, I could use a few thousand dollars. Maybe it'll be me. And what a smart, ultra simple solution to, to traffic laws, or sorry, traffic laws, to traffic cameras by not just being punitive to people who break the rules, but rewarding and acknowledging people who follow them. Yeah. That's great. And I'm going to, I'm going to put the video to that in the, in the show notes as well, because it's one, it's a, it's a video I use often when I'm teaching educators about gamification and it, and it just blows their mind that somebody would come up with that and you might actually reward people who are doing good through a speed camera, as opposed to, to just punishing. Another one I like is the musical staircase to increase physical activity and, um, and how it can in increase people making good choices when it comes to stairs and elevators and stuff like that. So there's lots of lots of really, really good examples um, of gamification. Have you seen really... garbage can voting? No. What's that one? Oh, that one's one of my favorites. What they'll do is in areas of high litter, they'll put uh, a question. And there's a, a trash basket on the left and the right. So they might be like, which animal is better, cats or dogs? And the only way to, to submit your vote is to put garbage mm. in the one that says dogs or cats. Mm. So and they find that it increases. Yeah. It, because people, people have a vested interest in these things. Yeah. So they'll go to areas, you know, where there's high level competition between two sports teams and they'll be like, you know, is this team better or this team knowing that people are going to fill the garbage of the local team. And then some people are going to try to egg people on by putting the arrival and, but but it's the simple act of of giving somebody a reason to put their garbage in a garbage can if for them the simple idea of littering is you know, who cares so it, there's just so many clever applications of it that just you know you could talk hours mm. about this stuff mm. hey scott this has been this has been really insightful you're you know you're a real authority on gamification and education and and you've given You've given me a lot to think about, and I thought I knew a lot about gamification. But um, you know, I really appreciate the work you're doing, and and this vision you have for education obviously comes through in a lot of what you do. And you know, being able to give away a lot of your resources just to grow a knowledge and passion around gamification is fantastic. So thank you for taking the time out and in, in this 
Uh, I, I think you mentioned that it's quite stormy where you are and, and it's late at night. So, you know, um, and you've got the new academic year coming up. So um, you're obviously really busy. So I, I do value your time. So thank you very much. Oh, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about this stuff. It has gone from an idea to something that's, that's changed my entire educational career. And I am just super passionate about it. And I just love talking about about what it is. And, and, you know, it might not be gamification, that's your passion as a teacher. But, you know, if you're listening to this, and you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm really into music, you know, invent musification, and and figure out a way to incorporate, you know, what makes music and bands and, and you know, stuff, you know, whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be what I did, or, you know, something that you've done, it, it, it can be something, you know, where you instill your own passion. And, you know, the, those are the types of things that I believe our education system needs to demonstrate to kids, you know, what is risk taking, what is creativity, what is seeing a problem and creating a solution. And, you know, that's, that's what I think our world needs today. Our world does not need textbook answers. We've, we've got all the textbook answers. We need creative solutions to problems like poverty, like global warming, like, you know, um, you know, how do you handle a pandemic? <laughs> like, you know, there, there's so many, you know, things that need creative outside the box stuff. And that's what I think the school really needs. We use the term the new normal. Like we really need to shift into that type of thinking in school. And, uh, you know, gamification is, is just one of the ways that you can do that. 100%. Thanks, Scott. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.